I was 31 years old when I started trying for my first baby. It took seven long months to get pregnant and then a miscarriage. After that, another miscarriage. Finally, I was able to carry the pregnancy to full term and gave birth to a healthy little girl. After my experience, I started opening up about what happened and discovered that many other women had experienced miscarriages and many others are having or had trouble getting pregnant. What's going on? Is this normal? Are we experiencing fertility issues because we are older on average? According to some research, it's not only our increased age that's causing fertility issues in women and increasingly men. A little while ago, I heard a researcher, Dr. Shanna Swan, speak to Steve Pakin on the show The Agenda about how men's sperm counts had decreased about 50% in the last 40 years and are steadily dropping at about 1% a year and that this may be contributing to fertility issues. My jaw dropped when I heard this. Could this be true? What's causing this decline and what can we do to stop it? I was so intrigued I bought her book, Countdown. I asked Dr. Swan to come on the podcast, but unfortunately, she's too busy of that at this time, given the recent release of her book. She was just on Joe Rogan, so you can understand she's quite busy these days. Because the topic of infertility and what's going on is so important, instead of letting the subject go and not including it in the podcast, I've decided to include it now in a different form. I read most of the book and will be giving an overview of some of the main points and I will be discussing her paramount study on plummeting sperm levels. I'm going to start by painting a bleak picture by discussing the current landscape of fertility for men and women, and what's potentially partially causing it. Then I will tell you why health during pregnancy is really important to your babies, especially your boys. Finally, I will describe some of the toxic chemicals we are exposed to and how to limit our exposure. As I obviously am not going to cover everything, I strongly recommend you read her incredible book. I hope you enjoy the episode and that we can all start making some even small changes so that we can help correct this unsettling trend in fertility. In 2017, Dr. Swan and her colleagues published a profound study looking at trends in sperm counts over the past four decades. They conducted a systematic review and meta-analysis, which are the top forms of review studies. These studies, if done well, provide great insights because they look at all or as much as possible of the available research on a topic and combine results to uncover truth as one study alone could be an anomaly. This paper, by the way, was ranked 26 among all reference scientific papers worldwide. In other words, it's a very credible paper, and the results attracted a lot of attention. Her meta-analysis looked at sperm count and sperm concentration findings from 185 studies, including 42,935 men between 1930 and 2011. They found that sperm concentrations, which are the number of sperm per ml of semen, had decreased by more than 52% among random men in Western countries, and the total count decreased by more than 59%. 
Sperm quality is apparently decreasing too. A 2016 study involving over 9,000 sperm samples from nearly 5,000 men showed a significant decrease in concentration motility and total count between 2002 and 2013 in young men attending college or who had recently graduated college in the Boston area. Testosterone levels in men have also been declining by about 1% per year since 1982, according to research from the U.S. and some parts of Europe. It would make sense this hormone would also be decreasing since adequate levels of it are needed to produce healthy sperm. And on top of it all, an increasing number of younger men, about, 20, about 26% of men under 40, are now grappling with erectile dysfunction. Not good. While infertility is typically thought of as a woman's issue, this is far from the truth. And we are now learning that one quarter to one third of infertility cases could be caused by male reproductive issues, which is the same proportion of female reproductive challenges. Low sperm concentrations and testosterone levels are not only wreaking havoc on fertility, they're also associated with decreased overall health in men. A 2016 study of around 13,000 men who had learned low sperm concentrations had a 30% increased risk of developing diabetes and a 48% increased risk of developing ischemic heart disease compared with men without fertility issues. It's also associated with increased cancer risk, particularly testicular and prostate cancer. Men with infertility can expect to die earlier than their fertile counterparts. Women are also having their fair share of reproductive issues. In recent years, there has been an increase in miscarriages among women in the U.S. regardless of age. In, according to a 2018 study by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, from 1990 to 2011, the risk of miscarriage increased by about 1% per year. Recurrent miscarriages may also be increasing, as a Swedish study found that between 2003 and 2012, the incident of recurrent miscarriage re increased by 74% in a cohort of almost 7,000 women, which is a very large increase in only nine years. There's also compelling evidence that decreased ovarian reserve, which is a condition in which women have low numbers and quality of eggs, is occurring more frequently. And if that wasn't enough, reproductive disorders like endometriosis are also increasing. A retrospective study of nearly 7,000 women between 1996 and 2008 in Canada found there was more than a threefold increase in the number of women between the ages of 18 and 24 who were newly diagnosed with endometriosis. So, why is all of this happening? There are obviously many factors at play. For instance, Obesity, diabetes, high alcohol consumption, and high cholesterol are associated with male infertility. Smoking is among the most damaging influences on men's reproductive function as it causes damage to DNA and sperm and reduced testosterone levels. It also increases the risk of erectile dysfunction. So those are really compelling reasons to try and quit smoking if you're smoking right now. Infertility rates are significantly higher in women who smoke. And it's not just cigarettes. A 2015 Danish study found that regularly smoking weed more than once a week was associated with a 29% lower sperm count. 
And a 2019 study found that women who smoked marijuana when they underwent infertility treatment had more than double the rates of miscarriage than those who didn't. Obesity, diet, exercise, and stress also play important roles. What's good for your overall health seems to be good for your reproductive health as well. Another factor contributing to decreased sperm count and increased infertility, and which is a large focus of Dr. Swan's book, is endocrine-disrupting chemicals. Dr. Swan believes very strongly that these chemicals are threatening reproductive development and functionality in humans and other species, and are playing havoc with the building blocks of sexual and reproductive development. They're ubiquitous everywhere in our modern world. These chemicals are found in plastics, cosmetics, lotions, foods, fragrances, and cleaning products, to name a few places. Chemicals in plastics include phthalates, which make plastics soft and flexible. Bisphenol A, BPA, makes plastics hard. And polyvinyl chloride, PVC, are found in children's toys, building blocks, and food packaging. There's almost a complete lack of regulation for these chemicals, many of which are harmful to humans. It seems that Europe may be doing a little bit better than US in this respect, as they have a few more regulations. Once these chemicals are inside us, they do their damage in various ways, such as interfering with normal function of the body's endocrine system, which is the system responsible for producing and secreting hormones. These endocrine-disrupting chemicals have been linked to numerous health outcomes, not only having to do with reproductive health. Dr. Swan goes into more details on these chemicals in her book, which you can reference for more information. But now, let's talk about what we can do about this, because perhaps you're feeling a little discouraged right now, as I did after learning about all this stuff and how ubiquitous these chemicals are. But don't lose heart. There are things that we can do that don't necessarily mean going somewhere to live off the land and never wearing makeup and hair products and perfume ever again. We can, we can take some small steps and make some positive changes. So let's start with one thing us mothers can do. And I know it's so often the woman's responsibility. But one thing us moms can do is to be very careful about our exposure to endocrine disrupting chemicals, particularly phthalates during pregnancy, and especially during the first eight to 12 weeks of pregnancy. Women with higher exposure to phthalates during this time were more likely to have sons with shorter anogenital distances, which is the distance from the anus to the base of the penis. Now you're probably wondering, why do I need to be concerned about this distance? Well, this is significant because research has shown that a shorter AGD, for short, correlates with a lower sperm count and smaller penis. Additionally, prenatal disruption of the male hormonal system can cause reduced testosterone and increased risk of genital abnormalities at birth. We can also do the obvious to improve our overall health, like exercise, maintain a healthy weight, stop smoking, Eat well and a Mediterranean diet has been shown in numerous studies to be very beneficial for health. Um, Some of you may be familiar with the blue zones, which are areas where we find a lot of people living very long lives, more centenarians. Um, And one diet that's correlated with longevity is the Mediterranean diet. And it's also helpful in fertility as well, apparently. 
And another thing we can do is to help manage stress. So doing things like meditation, yoga, going on a nature walk, just taking time to unwind. And I know sometimes it can be so hard to engage in these things, but thankfully there are apps where you can look at your phone and see how long you are, how you've spent on your phone and how long you've spent on social media. And perhaps we can use some of that time to engage in de-stressing activities. So now let's go on to ways that we can reduce exposure to these harmful toxins like endocrine disrupting chemicals. There are a number of strategies and I will go through about 12 of them briefly right now. But again, this isn't all of them and I encourage you to get the book and to go through them thoroughly. So the first thing is to buy organic foods. So this is a big one and I know it can be super expensive to buy organic, but there are ways to make it more manageable. For instance, you can try buying organic only for foods that contain the most contaminants like strawberries, kale, and apples. I heard on uh, 96.3 radio, they sometimes uh, discuss current research and they brought up um, uh, something where researchers had gone in and picked up non-organic kale and tested the amount of pesticides on it and they found 19 different pesticides. So kale is definitely one of those foods you want to try and buy organic. To learn more, check out the Dirty Dozen by the Environmental Working Group to find out which other foods are best to buy organic and which foods may not contain many contaminants like onions, for instance, and where you can save some money by buying non-organic. University of California researchers found that eating organically grown foods for just one week reduced the levels of 13 pesticides in the body. So it... The, making these changes can really lead to um, profound effects quite quickly. Number two, choose fresh, unprocessed foods. I remember years ago reading a book. I believe it was Michael Pollan's book, In Defense of Food. And he noted that when you're at the grocery store and you are about to pay and you're putting all of your food on the conveyor belt, look at all of your food and look to see that the vast majority of your food um, as much as possible is in its most natural state. So it's not pre-packaged, pre-made process, but you're buying simple fruits and vegetables and nuts and seeds and meats, etc., just in their most natural form possible. I've also heard that it's good to try and stick to the periphery of a grocery store because um, you'll notice the fruits and veggies, the meats are all on the periphery versus some of the more processed foods are in the center aisles. And Dr. Swan says in her book as well that if a food has a commercial about it, you, you're best not to buy it. Um, avoid packaging foods that can, that can come in contact with phthalates. And even if the label says BPA free, it could have been, the BPA could have been replaced with another toxic chemical. So that was news to me. I always thought, oh, BPA free, great. This is more healthy. Um, apparently not. So we should be cautious about that as well. And again, just try and buy foods, I think mostly in the most natural form possible. Number three, try to eat grass-fed antibiotic-free meats. Um, cattle and sheep are fed with hormones like testosterone and estrogen to promote their growth or are given antibiotics to prevent disease. Um, and as they're given these things, they can, these uh, hormones and, and antibiotics can then be passed on to us as we ingest it. So it's best to try and have grass fed or antibiotic free. Number four, use glass containers. So get rid of your plastic. 
I recently did a purge myself. Um, I got all of my plastic containers, except I kept a few of them and got rid of them and replaced them with some glass ones that I just ordered from Amazon made in the US. I think the name brand was uh, Pyrex. Um, so if you do use plastic, which I'm sure we all need to do to some extent, uh, make sure you look at the bottom of the plastic object inside the recycling triangle because this will tell you the type of plastic used to make the object. Remember the saying, four, five, one, two. All the rest are bad for you. So anything else, really try and avoid. I just recently got rid of my Nalgene water bottle. For you campers out there, you probably know Nalgene is like such a popular name brand water bottle that I used for camping um, and interior camping. And then I also just used it as a regular water bottle for years. I looked at the bottom and it was a number seven, which is, I think, the worst type. Um, It's classified as other plastic, if I remember correctly. So um, yeah, you want to avoid everything else except the four, five, one, two, as much as possible. Number five, never microwave plastic. Not a good idea. Number six, prepare your own meals as much as possible. So surprisingly, uh, takeout is associated with higher levels of phthalates. And one study found that teenagers who ate out a lot had a 55% higher level of hormone disrupting chemicals than those who ate only at home. And of course, eating at home will help you eat healthier and save you money. Plus, while you're cooking, you can listen to podcasts like this one. Number seven, upgrade your cookware. So avoid Teflon and non-stick cookware. Instead, opt for stainless steel, ceramic, or cast iron. I recently threw out my Teflon pan that I did love because it was so easy to clean, but apparently it is not doing any good for me, especially um, I'm pregnant now with my second child, so I've become a little bit more aware of um, what I'm cooking with and what I'm eating. So we got rid of it and are using our ceramic and some cast iron pans. Number eight, filter your drinking water and avoid bottled water. Number nine, Replace your standard cleaning products with more natural ones, or even try making your own using vinegar or essential oils. And there's lots of um, there's lots of ideas out there on how to make your own cleaning products online. Number ten, try to use lotions, deodorants, and cosmetics that are organic, fragrance-free, phthalate-free, or paraben-free, and avoid antibacterial soap which is news to me. I'm, I was all about the antibacterial soap, especially when my daughter was born and people wanted to hold her. I really wanted them to use lots of antibacterial soap and I'm all about that. But I've learned that, uh, that it's fine just using regular soap and water. So I have switched to that. Number 11, ditch the vinyl shower curtains. And lastly, number 12, banish all of your air fresheners. So again, there are more strategies, um, but I will encourage you to pick up her book and to take a look at that for the additional strategies. So I know this, all of this information may seem a little doom and gloom and the steps to rectify the issues may seem a bit overwhelming. That's certainly how I felt, but I applaud you for listening because one of the first steps in creating change is increase awareness. And now you know. As for the steps to become healthier and limit your exposure, I'd recommend just taking things slow. Maybe work on ordering a stainless steel water bottle or picking one up um, and throwing out your plastic ones this week. 
Later, you can do the same for your Tupperware and then replace your pans. I find Costco has some great products like stainless steel water bottles and cast iron pans for really reasonable prices. I recently ordered my daughter a stainless steel bowl and a sippy cup from Amazon for pretty decent prices as well. Um, and like I said, I'm pregnant right now. So I'm trying, I read her book and was to- totally convinced of all this stuff. So I'm trying to make some changes myself. So I recently, uh, I'm using coconut oil um, in a glass jar that I got from a health food store instead of mousse or hairspray. But I must tell you the truth. My hair is not looking the best these days. It's looking very natural and frizzy, but hopefully I will continue my quest and find something more natural that can actually make my, my hair look half decent. So wish me luck on that. But in closing, we can do this one step at a time. And as Dr. Swan puts it, for the sake of the human race, let's make some positive changes and do what we can to improve health and reproductive function for ourselves and future generations. Good luck. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did enjoy it and want to get notified of future episodes, please remember to subscribe. And if you have any questions or comments for me, please email me at maria at smartparentingpodcast.com. Until next time, happy parenting.